Hello and welcome to the Essendon People Podcast, an unofficial Essendon Football Club supporter podcast. Hosted by Brendan and Mark, Essendon People is a podcast for those who live and breathe Aussie rules and the Mighty Bombers. From the casual fan to the hardcore supporter, if you have the red and black in your heart, then Essendon People is the podcast for you. Thank you for joining us. Let's Let's start start the pod. pod. Welcome to episode 86 of the Essendon People podcast, our round nine review of the game against Brisbane and our round 10 preview for the game coming up against Richmond. So, Brendan, uh, game against Brisbane, we lost by 42 points, our heaviest loss for the year. Yes. Um, w- interesting game. Uh, the old tale of two halves, I think. Um, obviously, impacted greatly by a injury there. So... Um, we'll obviously talk about that as well with some uh, some news later on. Yeah, so it was, uh, the final scores there, it was Brisbane 12 goals, 15-87 to Essendon 6 goals, 9-45. We'll just move into the quarter by quarter. As you said, Taylor, two halves, and um, we started quite well, all things uh, considered. We actually lost the first quarter by five points. Uh, we kicked one goal, 3-9 to their two goals, 2-14. So we we're trailing by five points at quarter time, but I think given that we had you know, a few blemishes on the record this year in first quarters where we've kind of been, you know, had goals piled on us pretty quickly uh, by the likes of St Kilda. Uh, DeLong did the same as well. So um, I think we're a little bit nervous uh, playing at the Gabba uh, against good opposition. But um, I was pleasantly surprised at, at quarter time. I think we were a little bit fortunate at times, but um, yeah, pleasantly surprised to be to be in the game and to be competitive. Yeah, I think we probably played the, the better football of that first quarter there. I know... A couple of those behinds were real opportunities to kick the goal, to kick a goal there. But I certainly think that maybe Brisbane, that last five, seven minutes of the quarter, kind of had a bit more of control of the play. But for the majority of it, I thought we played uh, quite well with a with a young side in a state uh, against a good opposition. Yeah, no, definitely uh, agree with that. And then we moved into the second quarter where we kicked three goals to twenty uh, to. Brisbane's five behinds, they, they didn't score a goal. Uh, so five scoring shots apiece. Uh, they obviously went at 0% and we went at 60%. Won that quarter by 15 points and went in at halftime 10 points up. And I think a lot of people were starting to talk about this as potentially a huge a huge upset up at the Gabba. And we were playing pretty well. And I think by that stage, they probably had maybe, you know, you were starting to see that they were generating maybe more opportunities inside 50, but just not taking advantage of them. Um, but having said that, being 10 points up at half time, we gave ourselves a real shot. Yeah, then obviously kicking the, the five straight behinds in that in that second quarter there really um, meant they didn't capitalise on their opportunities there. And, you know, you look at, at half time there, both sides have had nine scoring shots. We've kicked the, the four five, they've kicked the two seven, and that's um, was kind of the difference. I certainly think they started to get a bit more of control around the ball, especially. Uh, our dominance all year has been centre bounce clearances, and with Darcy Parrish not in the side, you could certainly see that was an area of dominance that wasn't normally there. And you know, the areas that we traditionally haven't been as strong in around the ground uh, were still there, but our main, our big one would was uh, reduced effectiveness. Then that led us into the third quarter, which um, arguably is the worst quarter we've played. All year, I think, um, you know, there's been some some blowouts in some first quarters, but we've sort of managed to 
to you know come back a little bit on the on the back end of those quarters and score. This third quarter looked like we weren't going to score at all. I think we we kicked a goal quite late, which from memory was a, a one that we got on the end of that maybe Langford or someone kicked from the square. Um, we were just we were really kind of just up against it in the third quarter. The ball lived in there forward fifty. Um, it just we couldn't generate any movement past the halfway point on the ground and. They kicked five goals, four, 34, had the nine shots on goal, and we were just a one goal, one, seven. So lost that quarter by 27 points. Our 10-point lead evaporated, and we found ourselves 17 points down, which um, I guess being a side that is not renowned for, for coming back from you know margins, we were going to have to be away from home against arguably one of the best sides in the comp and try and uh, outscore them by a minimum of three goals, which was always going to be pretty tough going uh, considering where we were at for the first three quarters and not really having many shots on goal at all. Yeah, I agree with you that uh, that third quarter there was uh, our worst quarter for the year and probably a contender for the second worst quarter was uh, uh, the fourth. Uh, one goal, three, nine to five goals, four, 34. Um, lost that quarter by 25 points and obviously the game by 42. I think... Most bomber supporters there going in that fourth quarter were just hoping that we didn't get blown away. I think we all saw the writing was on the wall there. Um, that second half, much has been said, only able to kick two goals for a half of football is pretty is pretty poor. Um, but also the scoring shots, eighteen scoring shots to six in a in a half of football. Uh, obviously, that's three times more damaging in terms of moving the ball through the midfield to get shots on goal Brisbane were. And they weren't particularly accurate either. They, they kicked 10-8 for the half, went at 55%. So kind of like last week against Port Adelaide, if they had a kick straighter, it could have been a, um, a real big blowout. And you don't really want those big losses, especially in a state with a young side, because I think they can probably have a demoralising effect. And I think we're now 4-5 four wins, five losses for the year. I think our last win was probably the Melbourne game in Gather Round. So then we had a, a tight loss to Collingwood. And then I think it was Port Adelaide, Brisbane. I can't remember if it was someone uh, else. Ge- of- Geelong after Collingwood, yeah. Oh, yeah, I, I blanked that from my memory. <laughs> <laughs> I think just on that, it's probably a good time to say, I, I guess we did say that we were going into a, a tough five weeks after having, so we were four and one, um, you know, after the first five weeks. And then we said there's, there's sort of a really tough five weeks to come. And, and in that one, we are one and five, uh, I think. So um, oh, one and four, I, I can't remember how many games we played now. But um, I guess overall, we played all those top four and top eight sides. We managed to pinch one against Melbourne and gather round. I think, we did play really well that, that night. Uh, I think they were a little bit undermanned, so we probably got them at a good time. We've probably been stiff to get, you know, Collingwood have just been in good form all year, unfortunately, because I hate them. But uh, Geelong, they, that we got them at a time where they were scoring really heavily against teams and, and had everyone up and about. Um, Port, obviously, you know, won six on the trot when, when we played them as well. Um, we've, we've been sort of a little bit stiff. Brisbane, same thing. So we've um, we've come up against some really good sides and it's been pleasing not to be blown away. But overall, I think you'd say that we're probably where you'd expect us to be in terms of the fact that we're kind of the same old Essendon. And I don't say that with too much disrespect, but we're a little bit the same old Essendon where 
we beat the sides below us, but we can't beat the sides above us minus pinching, you know, a random game. If we had a one, another one in there, I would have said that that was probably a pass because we beat two sides that we weren't expected to beat. But we've got the random one that we normally get. And I think if you look back to – it was an interesting discussion kind of during the week about, you know, it's it's somewhat irrelevant almost at times to compare this year to last year because last year was so bad that everything you compare is always going to look better. You're probably better off going back a year earlier than that to when we snuck in the finals and got blown away in 2021. And I think we did a similar thing there. We beat all the sides we were expected to beat and probably only really beat one of the top eight sides. I think that was was the Bulldogs or someone, um, you know, late in the year that was above us. Otherwise, basically just sat in the middle of the road, beat everyone below us, didn't beat anyone above us and ended up being mediocre. Yeah, yeah. Um... I agree with you that we're we're kind of where we we are normally in terms of beating those below us, not doing that well against those above us. But the start of the year, I think most people would have said, come come finals time, the top four is going to be comprised of Melbourne, Geelong, Collingwood, and maybe Brisbane, and we've played essentially the top four. <laughs> Right, and then the one that hasn't been the top four has been Port Adelaide, who are, you know, a well-disciplined side that some people had in the eight, some people didn't have in the eight. But, you know, they're playing some pretty good football. We lost that by kick. We lost to Collingwood by kick. We beat Melbourne. And then the margins being, like, seven-odd goals to Geelong and Brisbane isn't isn't the worst. I guess let's go back to um <laughs> let's go back to Saturday or Friday night when we heard that Parrish had done his calf and Kelly was out with concussion. I think we all went thinking, oh, and this is gonna be closer to the seventy points than seven goals. So I think from that perspective we've gone pretty well, especially when you think Baldwin's had to come in, you know, Reed heard himself. It's just been a it was a Disastrous couple of days there with the on the injury front. Yeah, you're right. I think the uh, yeah, my view was maybe a little bit or came across a little bit pessimistic. I guess we have we've definitely shown improvement this year, which has been the pleasing thing. And um, long may that continue and and be an upward trend. So uh, we'll just go very high level through some stats before we jump in the good, bad, and ugly. So uh, there were some items there where we were pretty good, and that was in the clearances. So center clearances, stoppage clearances. Uh, clearance around the ground, they, they were all pretty pretty even. Hitouts, we dominated. We've had a clear ruck advantage this year, which we'll get to a little bit later. Um, and then there were some items here where we just really got blown away, and that was in contested possession, uncontested possession, um, and also marks, uh, marks comprehensively beaten in marks and contested marks. Uh, marks inside 50, obviously heavily beaten in that as well. So I guess that sort of points towards we were beaten, you know, inside and outside, we're beaten in the air. Um, we're kind of beaten everywhere with the ball, uh, which I, I guess eventually, you know, the floodgates kind of semi-opened a little bit there and, and got, a little, got a little bit uglier to watch. Um, maybe not so much on the scoreboard, but definitely got uglier to watch as an Essendon fan in that second half. So uh, very high-level overview of the stats. Yeah, so we'll get into the uh, the good, bad, uglies and obviously start with the good. And I think the, the glaring um, positive from the game, I think something that really... Yeah, all Bombers fans are happy to see, and that was the performance of Andy McGrath. Obviously, he played on Charlie Cameron, who was the most informed 
small forward, if not forward, in the competition there. And um, Andy gave him a bath there. So McGrath had the eight touches, eight, 18 touches, eight marks, and seven rebound 50s. And Cameron, you know, got the nine disposals and kicked it behind. But I think what's really important with Cameron there, he had zero goal assist and zero inside 50. So it didn't impact the scoreboard himself and didn't help teammates uh, score as well. And when you think that, you know, we got beaten by a substantial margin, you would have thought going into the game that Charlie Cameron would have had a day out. So for Andy to uh, come in and beat him, it was really good to see. And I guess going forward, that's the that's what we want to see from McGrath in the back line. I think we all think that, you know, Andy was drafted as the number one pick as a backman. He came in, won the rising star as a backman, which moved him into the midfield. I think Brad Scott's moved to play blokes in their best position. They've seen Andy go back. And if he plays like that, he's a multiple Australian from the rest of his career. Yeah, agreed. That probably leads us nicely into the next point, which in the good, we don't normally wrap up the back line as a whole group in, in a seven-goal loss. But um, I think given the circumstances, we, we have listed the whole back line here as being in the good category. And uh, we said here that they should get paid double this week. I guess the uh, the reason for that is in particular that second half we've just written here that they were in a 1992 Steven Seagal movie, uh, Under Siege. And Under Siege is the only way I think we could describe the second half that they experienced. So Andy McGrath, uh, you mentioned there, we'll kind of do a little cheeky Steven Seagal reference here. So uh, the perfect weapon we've got listed next to him. And as you mentioned, he potentially all Australian, if you could continue that form and shutting down, um, you know, the, the dangerous small forwards in, in the league. So I think just on that, um, more than likely on Brownlow night, you won't see Andy McGrath's name get read out, but he should get minimum two votes for, for that performance, if not the three. But, uh, yeah, he probably didn't get noticed by the umpires a lot because he doesn't play in the midfield and rack up 38 possessions. So, uh, anyway, we'll move on to Brandon Zerk Thatcher, the glimmer man, 16 disposals, eight marks, six rebound, 50s and seven intercepts. Nice to see that his confidence is, is still up despite a pretty tough month. Kane Baldwin came in, as he said, fifth AFL game, first AFL game at uh, the key defensive post. A dangerous man is the Steven Seagal reference, 13 disposals, five marks, four tackles. He had six rebound 50s and six intercepts as well. I was really pleased with, with Kane's game and um, he looked pretty comfortable at the level considering his level of experience and, and the job that was up against him. Yeah, the, the two key defenders there in Zerk Thatcher and Ball, when obviously people see Danaher kicks six and, you know, uh, Hipwood got multiple shots on goal. But I thought considering the amount of ball that went inside their 50 and the ease that went in there, for two young key defenders who combined have played 40 games, right, I think they've, um, they did pretty well. Baldwin, you know, one game in, I think Mark, you'll agree, he should stay in this side until Laverde is back. I don't see anybody taking that position. We've been critical privately and probably even publicly on the podcast that we were not playing two legitimate key defenders. We seem to have played Ridley as that second take call, which I can understand given he's done that successfully pinch hitting in the past. But I think different going into a game, being a key defender as opposed to during game, you're trying to cover someone who's got an injury. And by playing two legitimate key defenders, you actually allow Ridley to play what we think is his best role as that third tool intercept, come off and kick. So you allow him to play to his strength and get, you know, 
younger player into the side. And um, yeah, he's a big, strong boy there, Baldwin, isn't he? If, he? if he does hit someone, he will be a dangerous man. <laughs> no, definitely. And then um, Mason Redmond, uh, a mercenary for justice. We've got listed here, 30 disposals, seven marks, six rebound, 50s and 10 intercepts. So good to see Mason back in some form and uh, really putting his body on the line uh, as well at times during the game. And then Tyson Heppel, hard to kill, 21 disposals, 11 marks, three rebound, 50s and seven intercepts. And at times I felt like he, I might might get this wrong, but at times I felt like he was playing on, um, on uh, his name is Jack, Jack Gunston. Yes. Um, and I thought he did pretty well. Jack Gunston was another one who was kept goalless. And uh, at times I saw Heppel running pretty close with him. So, um, not to be underrated, his performance on the weekend as well. And uh, important to remember, I guess, too, that like he gets, he cops it pretty hard from some of the supporter base and um, he's a, a long servant of the club. And um, yeah, good to see Heppel having a good game. Yeah, on, on Hep, it's a bit funny how a bloke can go from being a captain and finishing top three in the best and fairest for the best part of a decade to all of a sudden being a whipping boy. So, um, yeah, I think there's um, you know, a lot of other players that can uh, can cop it from the fans before uh, Heppel does. We might Speaking get to of... them later. <laughs> Speaking of the fans, the Bombers crowd in in Brisbane was like a home game. There, obviously, um, getting stuck into to the former number six uh, <laughs> while he kicked a six. Uh, it was good to see. Uh, obviously, we have strong support around the country, but. You know, to be at a a home game of a you know essentially a one team town that's finishing top four, and it be a dominant Essendon crowd in terms of the vocal passion that you hear from them, it was really good to see. And hopefully, as we go throughout the year, we got a couple of games over in the west. The the Bombers crowd can get up and uh, make it really loud and passionate, and give us a bit more of advantage. So we'll move into the bad category. We'll we'll punch through these pretty quick and, and get through the first segment. But we'll smash in the inside fifties we spoke about, sixty-nine to thirty-eight. That was never that was never going to be sustainable, I guess. And a lot of that come in the second half. So um yeah, eventually the damn wall's gonna break and, and unfortunately just with that amount of inside fifties, you're not gonna give yourself many opportunities to win games. Another one I noticed was the body language. There was players starting to argue with each other. I know they've probably been through a pretty tough month, you know, lost four in a row, but starting to see some of those signs of players arguing with each other on the field, which sometimes is not a bad thing because it shows passion and accountability, but it wasn't shown in that nature, I think. And then um you know, uh, there was one point there where I saw Draper standing on the mark and he had his hands on his knees. He looked exhausted and he very may well have been, but it's just not a great look for your teammates that, you know, you're you, standing on the mark is, is a simple thing. You're meant to be a big, strong leader, Ruckman, and um, you should be able to stand there and put your hands in the air and then recover after that. So being a little harsh there on him, but just a small thing I noticed. And then just in general, we dropped our heads when things got a little bit hard, um, you know, Langford kicked that goal late in the third after we'd been smashed and it got back to within 17 points, you know, going into the last break. And that's for most sides within reaching distance, but you wouldn't have guessed that from the body language. Um, and then after the game, I turned it off by this point. So, so I uh, can't speak to it, but Brendan, you said there was, there's a lot of players sort of socializing with each other and pretty happily, you know, going about it. And that's all well and good. I understand there's mates there, but um, also particularly on, you know, McKenna and Danaher, they, these are guys who openly said that they wanted to leave the club. 
Um, McKenna, when he decided to come back, more or less said, you know, I'd be happy to come and play for any club, but just, just not Essendon. I don't really want to go back there. I'm paraphrasing there a little bit, but he um, more or less said that he wasn't interested in playing for Essendon again and wanted to go somewhere somewhere else, which is fine, but, you know, that's on record. And then, yeah, Danaher came out and said that he basically wanted to leave the club and tried to leave twice. So I think, you know, there should be a little bit more... Um, you know, feeling about that and, and uh, yeah, happy to say hello and, and catch up. But, um, yeah, maybe don't be so social about it after a, a loss, a disappointing loss. Well, yeah, I think the point, more, more to the point that it was the, it was our worst loss for the year. We kicked two goals and a half of football and, you, you know, sitting there having a laugh, having a chit-chat. Like, you know, mate, we're in the minority and we're probably a bit old school there, Mark, but just... When you're having a bad loss like that, get off the ground. <laughs> get off. Just walk towards walk towards the race. Anyone you walk along the way, shake their hand. But don't go be running out of your way to seek people out and having a chat. Just, oh, yeah, thanks, and move on. I think, you know, if you want to catch up, you can – you've got six months in the off-season to catch up or, you know, get on the phone, say good day. <laughs> anyway, moving just, on. Just, just before, I, I didn't want to go too long into this and waste too much time, but just uh, an interesting point is I, had, I hadn't seen that because I actually turned the game off straight away and decided to watch the last like two or three minutes of the Carlton game uh, to watch them just, you know, just capitulate a- against uh, the Bulldogs there to give myself, myself some sort of satisfaction for the, for the night. Um, and I noticed that they did the same thing after the game and they were all talking to Liam Jones and all that, which is all well and good, you know, they're friends or whatever. But, um, you know, I didn't like, did, I don't like seeing it. And uh, I, I saw it from Carlton and thought that they were a pretty big rabble for doing that. And I don't, I don't want us to be linked anyway to anything that Carlton do as a rabble. Well, just on this, I think it goes to the point that you were so disgusted with the performance, you, you couldn't bear watching it any longer than you had to. And I just sat there in sufferance and watched it and it was just, enraged when I saw it. So, you know, we saw it. We talked a little bit about it last year about wanting to have people who are not AFL players but Essendon footballers and have real pride in the jumper and really that be, you know, they want to see the Bombers win instead of just having a career. And that's kind of what we're we're talking to. Um, So quickly, skills, 65 clangers, 73 turnovers for the game. Uh, yeah, just needed to be important. It wasn't like it was wet and slippery there, so fair amount of um, fair amount of skill areas there that actually led to goals against uh, tackles or defensive pressure. Only 50, 50 tackles for the game, only ten of them inside fifty. That's kind of disappointing to see when you're when you're the losing side, and only thirty one percent is that's contrasted to Brisbane who had forty seven and they had the ball. So. Yeah, and then we talked earlier about the rough dominance there with the hitouts, forty to twenty six, but couldn't quite capitalise it on this week with the clearances being essentially identical across the ground. Uh, there was just uh, a few too many passengers, I guess, on the, on the day as well on the night. Um, we've listed here: Draper nine disposals, one tackle; Wiedemann five disposals. Davey, three disposals, came on as a sub. I guess it's a disclaimer there. Menzi, six disposals, four tackles. Massimo, nine disposals. Tipper, eight disposals. Keith, the goal. Uh, I guess there's a fair few forwards in that. So uh, I guess a little bit harsh in the respect that they didn't get a lot of opportunity because there wasn't a lot of inside 50s. But I guess the point we're trying to make is that, um, yeah, just you can't, 
you can't carry too many people. Often, you know, they say it's sort of about your bottom six, and I don't think there's a definite bottom six in any side. And definitely the guys that we've listed, you know, doesn't make up the bottom six. But um, to the point is that you need kind of everyone contributing in some way, shape, or form. Not not everyone can be a Zach Merritt, but um, you know, if, if your thing is that you lay five tackles a game and you generate a few scoring opportunities for others, then that's that's all we need to get from you on a consistent basis. And getting that consistency is the key. Yeah, and we'll move on to the uglies quickly. Non-competitive in the second half we've talked about. And then obviously it was our first real smashing of the year, the seven goal loss, as you talked to, to earlier. So Heath Hocking medal votes, I'll go this time. Five to McGrath, four to Redmond, three to Heppel, two to Sammy Durham, and one to Ben Hobbs. I've gone five to McGrath, four to Redmond, three to Langford, two to Martin, and one to Sammy Durham. So let's take a break, Brendan, and we'll come back with some club news, bit of BFL, bit of BFLW. So a bit of club news to touch on, Brendan, before we go into the VFL result um, and then the VFLW as well. So it, yesterday, uh, at the time of recording yesterday, the First Nations Advisory Council was announced by the club. Do you want to take us through um, a bit of an overview of what that means? Yeah, so this is a new advisory council which will provide leadership to the club on cultural safety and oversee our new Indigenous development program. So the club's identified a priority that we have to nurture Indigenous players and staff and foster an environment where they'll be able to achieve their professional and personal goals. So the club has set out the purpose of the council and there's four points. I'll just read through them. So to provide advice to the club's board and CEO on Indigenous policy and strategy, to monitor and support the facilitation and development of strategic partnerships with Indigenous communities, to monitor and support the implementation of the club's Indigenous policies and initiatives, including the club's reconciliation action plans from time to time, and to support the club's board and management in ensuring the club is a culturally safe environment for Indigenous staff, players, volunteers and other stakeholders. So the council is made up of, what's that, six people. The chairman is Dean Rioli. He's obviously an Essendon past player and last year was appointed to the Essendon board. Uh, Dorothy Hisgrove, who's the vice president of the footy club and was on the uh, coaching and CEO selection panels. Leanne Brook, who's the executive general manager of community and the Long Walk Foundation, works at the footy club. Kane Ellis, who's the CEO of the Illawarra Aboriginal Medical Service. John Evans, who's the Vice-Chancellor of Indigenous Engagement at Swinburne University. And Shay Cockadoo-Collins, who long-time Bombers fans will know as a pastor and a player, and he's also the Executive Manager of Indigenous Affairs at NVN. Um, so obviously last year, Mark, we did this external review. One of the key items was engagement with um, Indigenous Australia and obviously getting back to where we were, where we were seen as the, you know, preeminent sporting club in Australia regarding our Indigenous players and history. Uh, we've obviously got the Indigenous Sport Hall of Fame located at the hangar as well. So that's for all sports there. And obviously, Dean Rioli coming aboard, Mock along with the Long Walk Foundation, 
It's timing this week is going to be dream time there. So they've really looked to um, set this up and put a great influence and kind of have a body that can assist the club in Indigenous matters. Yeah, definitely a, a move in the right direction and um, and good to see action coming from, I guess, suggestions and um, and items that have been raised in the in the review. So, um, yeah, look forward to, to watching the progress that's made in that space. We'll move on to the VFL. So, uh, the VFL, they played Sunday um, up in Brisbane. So, it was a fairly depleted side, I guess, um, based on the injuries that we've had recently. Uh, it was Brisbane were a pretty, pretty healthy side and they were 16, 13, 109 to Essendon, 6, 5, 41. So, uh, I guess a, a pretty sound beating there. Uh, they were on top of in most of the stats um, inside 50s. Fairly similar story. We only generated 35 to their 71, and uh, we sort of struggled uh, to stay in the game. So of the nine AFL-listed players, we had Will Snelling, 28 disposals, five marks and five tackles. So good game from Will, putting his hand up to come back in the side. Lewis Hayes continues to impress, 14 disposals and three marks. Nick Bryan had another good game, 20 disposals, four marks, two tackles, and importantly, 29 hitouts. Uh, Alistair Lord, the 18 disposals, two marks and a tackle. Rhett Montgomery, 23 disposals, nine marks and a tackle, continues his consistent year. And I'll let you round him out, Brendan. Yeah, Paddy Voss, eight touches, two behinds, three marks. Tex Wanganeen, kicked the goal, seven tackles, eight disposals. Kane McBride. Had 12 disposals, six marks, and Anthony Mankara, nine disposals, three marks, and a tackle. I guess with this mark, we've just talking off before. I watched the first half of this on the stream, uh, possibly the worst half of football I've, <laughs> I've seen in my my 30 odd years. <laughs> it was horrendous. <laughs> the comment, the commentary was actually surprisingly good. I was quite good with the commentary. Obviously, uh, quite well informed. Right, obviously couple VFL people who were quite thing, but yeah, the actual the actual game itself it was um it was not great. <laughs> uh, I just wanted to highlight one player though from the VF at a VFL list of playing Quentin Markle. Obviously people will know him as the former Geelong player there. He had twenty nine touches, three marks, two goals one and three tackles on the weekend. So a real standout there. And for the season He's averaging 20 disposals, four marks, five tackles from seven games. He's also kicked the eight goals for. He's he's in the games that I've watched this so far, he's been our best VFL player, Mark. And I believe Richmond are probably going to target him in the mid-season draft if we don't take him earlier. So he, I think uh, come second half of the year, he will be on an AFL list. And he's another one that's doing some part-time work at the club in Indigenous Affairs for us. So that'll be a loss on both on-field and off-the-field if he does leave us. Very interesting to see how that plays out because I think it's fair to say at the mid-season draft, our priority is going to be you know, tall tall defenders and um, people with a bit of size about them for, for key position posts. But um, it'd be a great shame to lose Quinton. He obviously only came to the club this year, but um, has had some really good development kind of input with with the younger players um, and uh, been really good for our VFL side on the field as well. So uh, that would be a great shame to lose him. But um, having said that, uh, yeah, hopefully he finds his way back onto a list. I'm sure he will. And if it's not in red and black, um, it'll be a shame, but uh, good for him at a personal level. So our next game is against Richmond at the MCG. 
um, on Saturday at 2.35. So the curtain raiser. So you can come to the game a bit earlier uh, and you can watch the double. You can watch the VFL and then you can um, enjoy the little break in between and then straight into the into the AFL game uh, at night there. So a uh, good opportunity to, to do that. You don't often get to do that. So, um, yeah, something for us to consider, uh, Brendan, when we go in, maybe go in a bit earlier. Um, On to the VFLW, the girls played against Box Hill. It was Essendon, five goals, 2.32. The Box Hill, one goal, 9.15. It's all about conversion. Brendan, if you get (laughs) get the conversion right, you uh, get their 10 scoring shots to the seven, but uh, a comfortable win in the end due to good conversion. Um, So, Amelia Radford, 29 disposals, 11 marks and a goal. Georgia Clark, 19 disposals, six marks and two tackles. Stephanie Wales, 17 disposals, four marks, two tackles and 30 hitouts. And Sophie Mullen, 16 disposals, two marks, one goal and eight tackles. Olivia Manfrey, the five touches, five marks, two goals. Mia Ray Clifford, nine disposals, six marks and a goal. Paige Scott, 12 disposals, six marks and a goal. Amelia Radford, again, every week, Mark, we talk about Amelia. Uh, dominating again, um, I think she's probably pushing close to, uh, you know, being the leading player in the competition, the uh, Pierce Lambert medal, I believe it's called, or Lambert Pierce medal. Um, yeah, hopefully she can continue. I believe she's part of our AFLW list there, so she might come out of the pro- the VFLW program and um, go into pre-season mode, so that might be hit to the side, but yeah, um, really glad to see her continuing strong performances. So we play round nine on Saturday uh, at 11am at the Hangar versus the Cats. So a big Saturday for the Bombers there. Hopefully we can get uh, the wins in the VFL, VFLW and AFL. Uh, Moving on to the AFLW now. So one of our star players, Kat Phillips, so she played all 10 games last year for the AFLW side and finished sixth in the best and fairest. She's been placed on the inactive list due to her uh, announcement of her pregnancy. So what that means is that she won't be available for selection uh, for this upcoming season. Uh, we'll be able to replace her position on the list in the coming weeks. And the pre-season for the AFLW girls begins at the end of the month on the 29th of May. Yeah, so big congratulations to Cap Phillips. And with that, let's take a break and we'll come up, uh, we'll come back, sorry, to preview the game against Richmond, the Dreamtime Clash. So round 10 is the Dreamtime Clash against Richmond, Saturday night at 7.40pm. Uh, as we said, you can do the double header and see the VFL beforehand, but the uh, the main show on there is 7.40pm. So, Brendan, it's been a long time between drinks since we've beaten the Tigers, and um, I'm led to believe that if they get us again on Saturday, it will officially be the longest standing streak that any side has had over any other side in AFL history. So we love a dismal record. This has got us written all over it, but I certainly hope that we can break the curse. I did read that article on uh, afl.com.au today, and I regretted that I did. (laughs) It was, um, yeah, not great. Round 20, 2014 uh, was the last time that we've, uh, we've had a win. Uh, not great. 
not great. It's certainly, um, yeah, food for thought when you can think about how far ago far back 2014 was. I think Mark Thompson, Bomber Thompson was coach. That's how long ago it was, Mark. Well, it would be interesting to know, um, oh, the question without notice, but what, what year did Owen Davies Sr. retire? Okay, I think it was early in that. I think that's when Herdy first came in. As I Google away, twenty thirteen. Yeah. He retired in twenty thirteen. Oh, yeah, two thousand and seven to two thousand and thirteen. hundred games, one hundred and twenty goals. There we go. So we missed by a year. I was going to say, you know, potentially in our last time that we beat Richmond was. Um, when Alan Davies Senior was playing, and the and uh, now his son's playing, so that that's uh, gives you a bit of an idea. But uh, yeah, we missed out by a year. But anyhow, I guess uh, that's a pretty that's a pretty flattening way to start this segment. So <laughs> let's go to an even more flattening uh, part and roll into the injuries. So before we even start reading the names from the injuries, I'm sure everyone's well versed in in what our injury list looks like at the moment and some of the things that have come out recently. So what we've heard this week is that Essendon is consulting Cricket Australia uh, regarding stress fractures and and that's kind of, um, you know, some of the, the key issues that we've had with some of these young talls that have been coming through or, or not coming through for to better describe it. Um, and it sounds like they've engaged a second external review uh, off the back of the one that happened or allegedly happened last year. So I'm not sure whether to, to be happy about this, whether to laugh, whether to cry. Um, but I, I guess we need to do something because it's not, it's not normal to have, you know, we mentioned at the start of the year when the injuries started flowing through in preseason, how many leg related injuries. And I know that, you know, football is a game that, you know, you predominantly use your legs and that, but we had a lot of soft tissue leg injuries, particularly lower leg, ankles, calves, things like that. Um, that's sort of somewhat continuing when I look at the list here. But um, the, the stress fractures is a whole new thing in the back. It's just, just never-ending. To have three players in Cox, Reed, and Jones, all 195 centimetres and above, all under the age of 22, and all have back stress fractures at the same time, to me, rings massive alarm bells. Like if you, you know, if you had three players that age across the competition that had stretch factors, you might go, oh, okay, these things happen, young player. But have them all <laughs> at the one club, all at the same time. It's like you, you think, geez, what's what's going on there? Do we have an issue with the way we're building up young bodies, especially taller bodies? There, you know, like. Footy is such a difficult game to prepare for because, especially as a young player, because you're still growing, right? You have to run and then you have to put weight on. <laughs> so your body hasn't finished growing and you still have to be quite athletic and quick, but then also put weights. So, you know, you hear about like Coxie put on like eight kilos last year in the preseason there. You know, that's a lot of weight to put on. That's like, 10% of his bot whole body weight in the course of six months, right? which he needs to put on to be able to play key position at AFL level. But it's a big, big amount to then also run and jump and, you know, do all those sorts of things. And I know Sean Murphy there, he's got a 
he's got a cricket background there being, you know, the cricket Tasmania for a couple of years is there, strength and conditioning guy there. So and lots of people will say, you know, Pat Cummins and, you know, he's, you know, he had stress injuries in his back and he's come back and now he's the best bowler in the world and he's, you know, captain of Australia. But with Cummins, like he hurt his back when he was 18. He didn't play again until he was 24. Right? That's the next time he played for Australia. And, you know, so that's five, six years. And, you know, a lot of difference between an 18-year-old frame and a 24-year-old frame. Like one, you're a boy. The other one, you're a man. Right? And you can't afford, like, and Cox Jones and Reid are all in that middle of that age frame. And we can't afford them to miss six years' worth of footy because you're going to lose all that critical development. Right? So... Footing cricket aren't similar in that in that way, so it's kind of um, yeah. Hopefully, we can get on top of it and not have any lingering issues. Yeah, so just on our injury list here, uh, we'll go through it fairly quickly because it's a bit of a long list. But Dylan Shield with his ankle sounds like he'll be okay. Um, Jordan Ridley concussion, he should return. But given that he gets past all the testing, obviously this week he should return. Jake Kelly, similar thing with his concussion. Hopefully, he passes all the necessary tests and can come back in. Matt Guelphy is edging pretty close now. Should only be about a week away from returning through the VFL, one would assume. Uh, Nick Cox, with his back, um, is allegedly only a couple of weeks away as well from a return, which is good news. Darcy Parrish, with his hamstring, obviously we got that bad news last week that he did that at training, so he's going to be out for a month, unfortunately. Elijah Sardis, uh, hopefully with his knee, is only a few weeks away now. Jaden Laverde, um, still got five weeks here uh, listed, so that that's that's a pretty harsh one still for us to get over. Zach Reed with the hamstring, that was a six-week hamstring, which is a big hamstring uh, time frame. That that's not a good one, so that sounds like it was a nasty run, and uh, he's still five weeks away. And then uh, into the longer-term ones, Peter Wright with the shoulder, eight weeks. James Stewart with the foot, eight weeks, and Harrison Jones with his back injury to be confirmed. That sounds like season ending. And then Jaden Davey, we know, is not playing this year, still recovering from ACL last year. So the positive news on all that is that five weeks away, Mark, is round 14, and that's the week we have the bye. So after the bye, we should have the vast majority of those players back. And I think that the two that really stand out there are Parrish and Laverde. Um so it was interesting to see. I'm not sure if we've got the VFL on that week. If a couple of those boys, you know, have a half in the VFL on that on that bye weekend to get them fit to bring them back in. But interesting to see. I think we played Fremantle over there in round 15 after the bye. So maybe they say, oh, look, we're not going to take the risk, you know, travelling. We'll give them the extra week to get right in Melbourne. Because then we've got, you know, a pretty long run uh, in Victoria. I think we only travel one more time for the year after the bye. So interesting to see those happen. And hopefully um, we get a lot of those boys back as soon as possible. Yeah, notable ones here on uh, Richmond's injury list. Uh, Daniel Rioli had a bit of an ankle issue last week, but I think he'll be okay. Jacob Hopper, who's calf, so he'll be out. Um we got Josh Gibkus, uh, up-and-coming defender. He has got a hamstring issue. I think I heard that he's still going to be out. Tom Lynch is probably their big one, key forward. He, he's still recovering from foot surgery, so he's out. Uh, Toby Nankervis is edging closer. Hopefully, uh, he doesn't edge close enough to play <laughs> us on the weekend. Uh, but he's pretty close, so who knows. 
Uh, Morris Rioli Jr., another one who no doubt would especially get up for dream time and um, is the sort of player who could cause lots of problems, but he's got a bit of a hammy at the moment, so I don't think he'll be playing. And then uh, Ivan Soldo is their other rock option if um, if Van Kervis is not there. So uh, he's he's a test, uh, so we might see him him come in. And then uh, Robbie Tarrant, pretty good key defender for him. Um, he has a hip issue, so he's he's not playing as well on the weekend. Uh, there's some other names in there, but they're they're probably the more notable ones that people are familiar with. So fair to say that Richmond, like us, have a pretty decent injury list and have um, have felt the effects of that in the first part of this year. Yeah, that's right. Um, obviously, several key position players there in a couple of Rachman, Keith Ford, and developing key back along with a really, really important midfielder in Hopper there. So um, hopefully we can take advantage here, I guess. To be to be a negative there, Mark, Parrish probably cancels out Hopper. Uh, Peter Wright cancels out Tommy Lynch. Fair enough. We've got the advantage with Nan Curvis, but I'd say structurally Laverde is probably as important as, as Nan Curvis is to their side. Uh, Robbie Tarrant is, you know, not available, but, you know, it's not the end of the world player. And obviously whilst... Rioli, Daniel Rioli is a better player than uh, Matt Guelphie. I think um, Guelphie has a bigger impact on our side because we're not as good. So we can least afford to lose players where the Tigers have got a number of quality halfbacks that can kind of cover him easier despite being the better player. Yeah, and I think further to that point is your depth naturally is better when you've been successful recently and they definitely fall into that category. So uh, I guess we roll through what their predicted side might be now, and you can still see that there's there's plenty of um, oh. handy footballers out there. So. Look, at, look, at, look at this backline. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I'll start with the backline, and uh, and this doesn't look too shabby at all. Nathan Broad, Dylan Grimes, Nick Foston, Liam Baker, Noah Bolter, and Daniel Rioli. So um, yeah, although they although they've lost Gibkiss and and um, a few others around the, around the. Uh, a place as well. Um, yeah, that's a pretty solid back six that we've still got to deal with and try and score against. Yeah, well, Grimes and Bolter, obviously, one of those. You think Grimes probably goes to um, Langford and Bolter takes uh, Wiedemann. Uh, Broad and Vlosten. Vlosten in particular cuts us up. He's such an underrated player, Nick Vlosten. Hard, tough. It's kind of like what we want Mason Redmond to be, I, I, I would say. And Broad's a quality player. And then the run carry from Baker and Rioli, we're really going to have to invest some time into them to containing their ability to not only carry the ball from the back line, but actually they push in the middle and become part of their midfield rotation. So maybe, you know, we could some of our half forwards like Hobbs or Corwell or even the young man Perkins, uh, they might have to roll with them into the midfield as well. Yeah, so we'll go through their centre line and, and on ballers there. So on the wings, Camden McIntosh and Jack Ross. Uh, in the centre there, Tim Taranto. And then uh, in the ruck, Samson Ryan. Um, and on ballers there, Shai Bolton and Jaden Short. So again, pretty stacked lineup. Even some names that, you know, People who don't follow Richmond that closely might not be familiar with, like someone like a Macintosh has been been around for a while now and is a pretty reliable player uh, for them. Jack Ross, you know, been on the list for a while and fought his way into the side and 
Um, people might not recognise him now with a bit of longer hair, but um, but he's been a pretty handy player for them this year as well. So, again, pretty good depth. And, uh, you know, players like Shea Bolton and Jaden Short are well and truly established players who, who know their way around the midfield, that's for sure. So, um, probably potentially can t- try and take advantage of the ruck there with Sanson Ryan, a young player. Um, however, we have seen games, uh, I guess, from Richmond this year where he has been able to, you know, in patches, make a real big impact when he drifts forward. Yeah, and speaking of the forwards there, a bit of a makeshift forward line there with um, a couple of midfielders resting forward there. So Dion Prestia, uh, Ben Miller as the centre-half forward, Judson Clark, and then Ryan Mansell, Jack Revolt and Dustin Martin. You would think Prestia and Martin probably rotate into the middle a bit. Um, Martin, obviously, you know, like all champions, Buddy Franklin feasts upon <laughs> Essendon. Uh, so I would imagine he'd be licking his lips coming up with us. Down Presto back from injury. Actually, don't mind him as a medium forward there. He's very strong in the body and underrated overhead. So yeah, Judson Clark is a guy that not many people will know, but I actually rate him quite a bit, I think. Into the fu- coming into the future in the next five to six years, he'll go, you know, close to being a top five player at Richmond. I think he's, there's something about him that I really like. And then obviously Jack Revolt, we all know about how good a player he is. And um, yeah, I guess let's hope an aging Revolt doesn't have a day out like an aging Tom Hawkins did uh, about a month ago. Yeah, let's hope that uh, BZC can send him into retirement. <laughs> and then we'll go over to the uh, to the bench. Uh, Marlon Pickett, Jack Graham, Trent Cochin, Noah Cumberland, and we've got Hugo Ralph Smith as a sub, but there's a variety of other players that could rotate through that thing there as well. So still some experience with Graham and Cochin on that bench. Uh, Cumberland's a strong-bodied kind of medium forward. Uh, Pickett's obviously got a bit of class and pizzazz about him. So, yeah, it'll be an interesting matchup there. But I guess this isn't going to be a game one or lost by those, you know, who are on the bench. Yeah, so let's go through some matchups now. We mentioned, uh, you know, touched on a few people during that. So, um, Dustin Martin, you mentioned explosive match winner. Jake Stringer is probably the, the closest that we've got to that kind of um, that kind of impact sort of style it. player. So, uh, yeah, that would be a good one to watch there. Jack Graham, pretty gritty um, midfielder there, mature body, powerful in the contest. Uh, Dylan Shiel, um, hopefully, I think I, I think for this, we would need to see Dylan go up a gear because I think that um, Jack Graham probably puts his head over the ball a, a little bit more than maybe what, than what Dylan Shield's used to. So um, might be a good opportunity for him to, to learn that, uh, I guess to learn from someone like that and, and to see if he can take his game to another level. Um, then on the midfield still, we've got uh, Shy Bolton. So, you know, he, he's been talked about the last couple of years potentially being able to be the best player in the competition. And I think that that's just been a maturity thing um, at the moment. He may be a bit wasteful at times, but he could tear you open very quickly. So um, need to have someone who can, I guess, be watchful of that and also keep him accountable. And maybe the captain, Zach Merritt, is best for that. Um, mature enough to know you know, that he needs to be defensive, but can also uh, hurt someone like Bolton the other way. Yeah, and then Daniel Rioli, we talked about that pace and class he used off halfback. I guess maybe Alwyn Davey might be a bit of a match-up for him, kind of young player. This might be one of those classic 
just playing a guy who you've got similar traits to will give you an education of what it is to be at that level. You know, I think Alwyn half forward moving in the midfield, his role, but probably a decade ago, you would have said that's the same for Daniel. And now Daniel's made himself into, he was a very good forward. Now he's a very good defender. So that's potentially, you know, not the worst thing to do to just have that up our sleeve in the future that we want to throw Alwyn back get a bit of run and drive out of the back line, this might be just a little teaser of um, just a bit of learning for him. Uh, Dion Prestia talked about small, powerful player. I think Andy McGrath is the guy to go to him uh, at the moment. Revile, you talked about BZT. is the guy, natural matchup. Uh, Jaden Short, he's a real attacking player, uh, can push into the midfield there. I think Jai Corwell could be one maybe do a bit of a defensive role like he's done in the past. Uh, and then Timmy Taranto, big, strong inside mid, uh, come across from GWS. I guess uh, another big, strong mid that used to play for GWS is uh, Will Setterfield. So that might be a good matchup. And you just want to take us home there, Mark? Yeah, I'll round us out here with Liam Baker, small mid, running machine, uh, Ben Hobbs. That would be actually a really good matchup to watch, um, I think. Ben Hobbs, young up-and-coming player who had probably one of his better games so far on the weekend, so coming in with a bit of confidence and got a point to prove as well to stay in the side, so I'd really be interested to watch that one. Um, Nick Foster, you mentioned, uh, enjoys playing against Essendon and uh, is a good intercept defender. Archie Perkins, um, something we've probably spoken about offline more in the last couple of weeks is that as good a player as Archie is and he's becoming, um, he could go another step if he could add a few more defensive elements. And this could be, uh, again, like Elwin Davey that you mentioned earlier, it could be a good educational piece for him for that. So, um, yeah, interesting one to, to watch there. So, Brennan, take us through our suggested changes for this week. So we've got three outs. Uh, Nick Hind. Jai Menzi and Andrew Phillips. Uh, for Hind, we've got Jordan Kelly, Jordan Ridley coming in. I guess that, you know, Ridley's best day and he comes in. Kelly's, Jake Kelly, if he's fit, he comes in. So I think Menzi's the one that unfortunately squeezes out. Not like for like, but we dropped Alwyn Davey a couple of weeks ago and needed a bit of a rest. Menzi hasn't had a rest as yet, so maybe this is a game where he has a has a bit of a break. And then uh, Nick Bryant, Andy Phillips, we've got this every week. <laughs> um, yeah, I think, you know, I, I don't think they'll do it because every time we said we think they'll do it, they don't, but potentially an option. Yeah, Phil, Phillips, Phillips strikes me as someone who needs a rest as well, doesn't he? 31, he's played all year. He's probably the most games he's played in his entire career back-to-back. So um, at senior level, so yeah, who, who knows? I just you know I just think he, he he benefits from a week off every now and then, and he sparks when he comes back, and you know against a side that doesn't have a dominant ruck division, I think we can bring Brian in, give him a taste, and just try something a bit different. I agree. So um, we're at the end of the episode now, Brendan. So I think uh, I'll. Well, you know, my final thoughts and then you can add your final thoughts as well. But I guess mine are that um, in all, like we've kind of joked around a little bit in this last segment and, and um, we're a little bit pessimistic at the start of it. But in all seriousness, that's not a record that you want to hold in the league. And, and I think it's something that the club internally and that the players and the coaches 
should really use as as a motivator. And you know, it, it would be embarrassing to to lose again to a side that's just absolutely belted us you know year on on end and uh you know as much as you don't live in the past i think that this would be a real uh statement from the club that they're moving forward and that we are progressing by beating someone who we're not you know usually penciled in to beat each year um and then you move on to you know the next big game that you're not expected to win that you can win so um yeah in, in summary um yeah, it's important. It's important to take it seriously and to and to look at this as an opportunity to to knock off a team that um, you know have have had the wood over us and and to uh, go out there and do it and and try and do it in a big fashion too. You know, we're probably not going to win by ten goals, but go out there and pile on a big score like we were in that first sort of five or six weeks and um, really get on top and have the pressure up and let them know that they've come to play the the new age bombers. Yeah, and. I guess we touched on earlier about not being able to beat the sides above us and beating those sides beneath us. Well, Richmond actually are around us. They're at our level, and they're the games that we need to win, well, the ones that are around us. So, um, yeah, I think it's our home game as well, and obviously with it being dream time and, you know, our big, our illustrious and proud history with Indigenous footballers, I think it's really important we, we step up. And you talk about stepping up on the field, and I... <laughs> I, along with every other Essendon supporter, agree with you. But I also want us to really step up off the field and in terms of the, the pre-game stuff. Like in the past couple of years, Richmond have really grabbed it and done something a bit different. And they kind of – their pre-game is really amazing. So I hope that we take the opportunity. I go – Tip is back as well. I Tip had mentioned today he's, um, he's happy at the club and he wants to hopefully hang around for another couple of years. So – that's a real, real, you know, boost for us there. We got a number of Indigenous players, not just Alwyn Davy on the list, but Wanganeen, Mankara, Lord, right? Those type of guys, we really like to get them in the game. I think, you know, Tex might be a real smoky to come in. He's kicked a, kicked a couple of goals in recent weeks. So it'll be interesting to see if they, you know, if we do drop Menzi, maybe they think, okay, we need to bring in another similar type. Um. Yeah, I guess kind of that that pregame. If we can get that pregame piece right, I think that'll be a good good omen for uh for the rest of the day. But yeah, you don't want to be losing to the same side for fourteen years. That's <laughs> I'll tell ten years, however long it is. It feels like forty years at this stage. Um. Yeah, really love love to get a win. Time for it to end. The uh, the streak must end. Go the Dons. Go Bombers.